0: Welcome to the podcast of Living Water Bible Fellowship. We are a church in Alamosa, Colorado, and here you can find our sermons and other occasional teachings. We hope and pray that this podcast encourages you in your walk with Jesus and increases your understanding of God's Word and the Gospel. Through Jesus, Anyone can have new life, can have freedom, and can have ultimate salvation. Stick around to the end of this podcast to learn more about what the gospel is and how to be saved. And now, on to our teaching.
1: There is an enemy who would like to destroy us. There is somebody being a kingdom that would like to pull us away from the kingdom of God forever there's somebody who hates God who wants to see God opposed and, and hated who wants to see God thrown down he wants to see all of the people of the world those of us who are made in the image of God those of us who are made in the likeness of God those of us who are made to love God he wants to see us rebel against God to leave God To not have faith in God. The devil is seeking to pull the whole world astray. Deception, lies, deceit. He wants us to all fall away from God. How will we overcome the devil? How will we overcome the hater of our souls? How will we live forever? Please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, we enter a new segment of the book. Uh, we've been marching through the trumpets and we marched through the victory of God in chapter 11 last week. The celebration of His reign coming, His rule coming, rejoicing and giving Him glory for His victory. And we enter in this new season where we are come, brought face to face with the enemy with the battle of evil, the battle against good, some would call it in highfalutin terms of cosmic war, but it's somebody trying to kill us, somebody trying to ruin us, somebody trying to keep us from the worship of God. Will we win? How will we win? 12, 13, 14, all looks uh, kind of an interlude, kind of a pause after the seventh trumpet, kind of a... Let's pause and look back and let's see what's happening through world history. The evil that's transpired, the war that's still going on today. How will we win? And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant. was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great, dra- a great red dragon. Seven heads, ten horns. On his head, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rotted iron. But her child was caught up to God and to His throne, the woman fled into the wilderness where she, was, she had a place prepared by God, which she was nourished for 1,260 days. Pause there with me, please. John, the one who's been commissioned by God, we saw in chapter 1. Write everything you see, the things that are, the things that will be. We saw in chapter 10 a recommissioning when he's given the little scroll and prophesied to the nations, tell the nations what to come. And so John is given another sign, he's given another vision, another pageant in the sky, as it were, scenes that God wants him to understand, to take down, to pass on to us. Throughout Revelation, we've talked about, uh, we see the things of this earth, we see the wars going on, we see the physicality, see the concrete nature of things. Behind the scenes is what uh, John sees, and he sees a battle. Uh, the first sign is called the great sign as opposed to not a great sign of the, of the devil. The great sign that he sees in heaven is a woman. Now, through church history, there's been many, uh, many tri- interpretations of this. Uh, uh, some would say it's Mary, the mother of Jesus. Some would say it's the church, the old covenant and new covenant church together, if, if that, that terminology works. And some would say it's Israel. And I think it's the latter, a symbol, a sign uh, in the heaven. And what he sees, he sees a a woman clothed with the sun. How majestic is that? How bright would that be? How incredible would that scene be? Standing on the moon. Uh, The moon, the beauty and wondrous moon. But a symbol of of rule, of reign. The crown, the the poets call it the starry crown of the twelve stars. Uh, We would... uh, we could spend a lot of time running down the path trying to figure out th- what would a first century Jewish person understand of, this, of this, this symbol? A first century Christian, what would they look at it and how would they interpret it? I, I think it, the, the, it'd be clear that they think would, would, they would think of Israel. And, and do, do you see some of the symbolism there, some of the things, do you remember Old Testament, some of the, the scenes? Um, Joseph in, in, in Genesis 37, remember the dreams he had and, and in that one dream? His, he saw the sun and moon and the stars bow down to him. The sun and moon were his father and mother. His, the stars were his brothers. The scene is of, of him rescuing, rescuing the people of, of his family, rescuing the nation really as they go down to Egypt. But the, the, the scene here that we're pictured is, is the sun and moon uh, represented here, the stars Descendants of Israel, descendants of Jacob, the people of God down through the ages. Uh, <clears throat> Israel, the one from which Jesus would come. The uh, scene he sees is she's pregnant, He's, she's crying out in pains and agony. <clears throat> the first century church under the oppression of Rome, under the, the wicked rule of, of the emperor, uh, the persecutions they were going through at the end of the first century. Uh, the scenes that the, that the everyday first century reader would, would understand if they're a Christian. Uh, the persecution represented by the birth pains, by the, the labor pains. The woman here, Israel, going through travail, going through suffering, going through great trial. <clears throat> She's uh, about ready to give birth, and then another sign in heaven the red dragon, the enormous red dragon. Notice he's uh, multi-headed, kind of a hydra in form, ten horns. A horn is, in the Old in the Old Testament, the, the way they talked about it, a horn was a symbol of power. Ten horns, incredibly powerful beast, seven diadems, seven crowns on his head. We don't know if this is meant to represent his uh, presumption of power, if it's a mocking of King Jesus. You know, throughout the book of Revelation, we see Satan's uh, kind of... Uh, trying to reflect Jesus, trying to keep up with God. Maybe here's another symbol of his his aspirations, and yet we know he falls far short. The signs are coming together. There's there's a sign of the woman going to give birth to the king. And you can write down, if you're taking notes, you can write down Psalm 2. Who is this child? Um, It says in verse 5, the one who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. That comes straight from Psalm 2. Remember last week we spent some time talking about Psalm 2. The Lord and His Anointed One will come. The Anointed One, the Christ, the Messiah, the King. Here He's described as the one who's going to rule the nations. And His, his, his scepter, His power is ironclad strong. Nothing can come against Him. That's the prophecy. So the dragon comes. And in ancient times, if you've ever looked at pictures and in iniquity of serpents or dragons... Uh, the ancient Near East, every culture had uh, an idea of dragons. They had stories of dragons. Every culture, maybe around the world, there's many, many cultures that have stories of dragons or sea serpents or, or different uh, uh, powers that are opposed to the people of God. This, uh, this, this dragon, uh, the, the, the imagery, it, there's a lot of Old Testament talk about dragons. I don't know if you realize that or not. And uh, they usually come in the context of opposing God's people. Let me just show you a few, just to give you a flavor of it. Psalm, <clears throat> Psalm 74 is, is one. Psalm 74, starting in uh, verse 12. 70, you can write down 74, verses 12 through 14. Yet God is my king from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. So the psalmist is praising God. And he remembers, he remembers the exodus. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. Uh, The the cultures of the day, they all had a a view of uh, the sea monsters, a multi-headed animal, a multi-headed beast that uh, uh, that was threatening the nations. In the context of some of these verses, the Leviathan, the Behemoth, the, uh, the, the Rahab, uh, the di- different, different types of uh, creatures that are described, they often take the place of, of Pharaoh or Babylon or Assyria, the different nations. Uh, if you look at uh, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 27, there are several references uh, to these things in Isaiah. Isaiah 27, verse 1. In that day, the Lord with his his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Leviathan, the twisting serpent. He will slay the dragon that is in the sea. Uh, The the serpent, the sea serpent, uh, all the cultures of the ancient Near East, around the Mediterranean basin, they had these... What, they, what some would call myths, they'd have these stories from of old told of dragons, and it's really fascinating to think about that in terms of God's creatures and, and so on and so forth. But the, in, in, in Isaiah, the Assyrians sometimes, the Babylonians sometimes, they're portrayed as, as the evil monsters that are, that are crushing Israel. But God is stronger always. In all these texts, God always overcomes. Isaiah 51, Isaiah 51, Um, I'm going to start in uh, verse 9. Again, Isaiah is talking about God's going to overcome. He's going to comfort Zion. He's going to win. Awake, awake, put on on strength. The, The prayer is that God would arise. O arm of the Lord, awake as in days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab to pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep? So again, a reference to the Exodus. Who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? So Pharaoh, in this case, described as the dragon. And yet we get to Revelation, and it's obvious that the author is not talking about a nation. It's not talking about a people group. It's not talking about some human power, some human government. Uh, In in Revelation 13, we're going to talk about how it manifests itself through human government, but the devil is called the dragon. The devil is the evil who's seeking to uh, take all of God's glory away, trying to lead everybody, all the peoples of the world, away from God. He wants all God's people made in his image to go to hell with him. You know, he 'll not stop at anything to destroy the work of God, so we see in this 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 incredible condensed scene of this battle uh, he at the moment of jesus birth, he tries to kill tries to devour as it were uh, <clears throat> the uh, the success of the of the serpent, the success of the Hater of our souls, the success of the enemy was a mighty failure. He saw himself usurping God's plan, crushing God's plan, destroying God's plan. Uh, maybe this is an allusion to Exodus 3 where it said that the serpent would strike his heel, but the skull crusher would crush the serpent. Victorious again and again in different contexts and different settings. Uh, the, the child, if you look at verse 5, she gave birth to the child. One is to rule all nations and the rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. That's an incredible span of time. So back in the first century, Jesus came from the people of God, from Israel, through Mary, his mother, the physical birth. But the, the, from all the way from Abraham, the seed, the sperma of Abraham, all the way down through the people groups, all the way to Jesus... He's born, he lives, he, he, uh, he teaches, he, for his whole life he's doing the ministry of God, then he dies. Then as we're told in the scriptures, he was buried on the third day, he rose from the dead. And then in verse 5, he's taken up to God, he's snatched up to God and to his throne. So this verse 5, it's just the birth and then the ascension of Jesus. We're not told anything at this point about all of his ministry in between. And the point being, Satan failed. Satan lost. Satan did not destroy the Savior of the world. He did not destroy the coming king of the world. It's, it's really fascinating how tight and compact this theology is. Because in the context of him being snatched up to the throne the ascension, the previous verse talked about him ruling the world. In the context of where we've been, the last several weeks is the coming of the rule of the king. The celebration of the kingdom of God coming upon the earth. And it's like it's in a backhanded way saying, He is, He will be, He is the Lord of all. It's all been successful, in other words. So the, 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 the signs, the clashing, the war, the battle... The first uh, scene we have here is a failure by Satan. Uh, verse 4 is, is something we need to talk about. There's a lot of written and a lot of uh, biblical theology coming under the, this bridge, under this heading of this, this. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Uh, it's another picture of the power, the enormity of the dragon, the, the sway he has over the heavens and earth. And yet he's so small compared to God. He's so insignificant compared to God because he's a created being. Uh, what we're referencing here, what we think is referenced here is, is the primordial kind of beginning of evil. Every culture, every religion, every society has their own ways of describing evil. Where, where did it come from? Why is it here? Why do we have to deal with evil? Et cetera, et cetera. Here we have the biblical, in, in a nutshell, biblical understanding that there was a rebellion at the beginning. Now the timing of it is, is rather fascinating because if you look at uh, and again if you're taking notes you can write this down you don't have to turn there with me but Job chapter 38, Job chapter 38, uh, it, it's it's quite quite amazing when we start seeing some of these things um, going on. Um, Job 38 verse 4. When 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 was the earth created? When where were the angels created? Where were the all the beings created? Uh, in, in Job, uh, God is talking to <laughs> uh, all these guys who are opposing Job, kind of putting him in their place. And he says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Verse, verse 4. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined the measurements? Surely you know. Uh, all these prideful guys that are, you know, putting Job down for, you know, telling him he's a sinner, like they're, they're, they're lording over him. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or stretch out the line upon it. And where. In which, what were their bases sunk? Or, or who laid the cornerstone? Who, who, who started the earth? Who put it together? How was it made? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. There's just a snippet there of all the angelic hosts being made in the beginning. Proverbs 8 said the first thing that was made was wisdom. Wisdom. <laughs> But it seems like as the earth was being created, like somewhere between Genesis 1:1 and Genesis 1:2, right? The earth, you know, the spirit was hovering over the form of the earth. At that point, it seems like the angels were looking at what God was doing and going, "Yeah!" Shouting, "Look what God! Look what our God did! Our Creator did!" We we get to Genesis 1, though, and at the end of the at the end of the time there, it says in Genesis 1:27, going into chapter chapter two, everything that God made is good. But then we get to chapter 3 in Genesis, and, and we see this serpent. It, it, we're going to see here in a min, minute what we read, the ancient serpent. Uh, he comes and he tempts Eve. Again, his, his MO, is, his, his motive, he hates God. He hates all of God's image bearers. He's going to do everything he can to lead the world astray, started with Adam and Eve, to lead them astray from God. He wants to be worshipped. And if he can't be worshipped, he's going to make sure that everybody else on the face of the earth, all of God's creatures will not worship God. So he tempts, leads Eve astray. So what happened? Where's the fall of the dragon? In in verse 4, it seems like the rebellion started with Satan and he influenced a bunch of the angels. Now, a bunch of the angels, we, we have to talk, you know, if I had the time, I'd really go into, maybe we could talk about angelology or demonology or Satanology. There's so much in the Bible about these things. But we saw in Revelation chapter 5, the myriads and myriads of angels, the 10,000 times 10,000 angels, the biggest number in Greek culture that they could come up with, surrounding the throne, worshiping God. Apparently, there's a lot of angels out there. We see in places like Isaiah 6 and, different, and Ezekiel 1, the cherubim and the seraphim, the different, the different types of angels. Uh, the archangel Michael, maybe Gabriel's an archa- archangel too. There's these ranks of angels and there's myriads of them. There's all different kinds of angels. But apparently, what happened in the rebellion, the fall, how did we get to this part of the season where the world's evil and fallen and broken? It started perhaps, as we think, the Bible doesn't go into great detail. We think the, this, this angel, whom we call Satan now, the devil, the slanderer, the deceiver, we think that he was an archangel uh, on the level of Michael, and the re- reason we say that you can write down Isaiah fourteen, Isaiah chapter fourteen. Uh, there, there's uh, it's about the king of Babylon and how he's attacking God's people and he's going to be defeated. But there's a there's a portion there that talks about the pride of the king, and it it just, it just talks about it in such a level that it seems to be talking about the pride of Satan. The, 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 this, this cherubim, so to speak, this this angel of God, in the present filled with pride, and you can also write down Ezekiel chapter twenty-eight. Ezekiel chapter twenty-eight, talking about the king of Tyre, the prince of Tyre, in that section. But again, the pride of this of this 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 ruler. And so, what we think happened is is that there was a rebellion in, in heaven, uh, reflected again in a nutshell in verse four where the enemy rebelled and, and, and took a bunch of the created beings with him. Uh, some would say, well, what does that mean today? Is, is Satan, uh, is he, if he's an enemy here today with us, what, what does that mean for us? I mean, is he reading my thoughts right now? Is he, does, he, does he know everything about me? And so what we have to understand in terms of our understanding of the enemy of our souls is he's not omnipotent, he's not omniscient, he, can't, he doesn't know anything. He's a very limited being. He's a created being. There's parameters. Just like we're created beings, we can only know so much or understand so much. It's the same with Satan and demons. But uh, I've talked to people that have gone to see palm readers or gone to see uh, spirit guides, uh, horoscope readers, and they say, man, those people know stuff that nobody else could know. How do they know that stuff? Are they, you know, the Ouija boards or the different, different things that play out in culture over time? Uh, in Philippines, you know, we had our own own type of witch doctors. Uh, different places, right? you go to Africa, all these different, these, these shamans and different people, how do they know that stuff? And see, the, the, even though Satan and his, his, his legions aren't omniscient or omnipotent, they're very good at observing things. They're very good at listening to things. And so you go pay your 25 bucks or 30 bucks, I don't know what inflation is doing these days, to the palm readers, the horoscope readers, they might be able to tell you some things that no one else knows because they are infused and given insight by demons. And so you go to Crestone and you pay some spirit guide to tell you about your future, or lead you into a certain path of living, and the things they come up with are just incredible. How how do they know that? Well, we, we learn that behind all idols, behind all false religions, there's a demonic influence, a demonic presence there. Uh, again, the motive, the MO of, of Satan is he wants to lead everybody astray from God. So if he can trick you, deceive you, tell you lies about reality, lead you away from the worship of the king, the, uh, you're giving your life to the Lord, he, he will. Because he, w- he doesn't want to see God worshiped. He wants everyone to join him in hell. And so the, this, this scene of... of um, the rebellion it starts here and, and so it's very nutshell but I, that's the best way we can describe the kingdom of God is going to replace the kingdom of this world the kingdom of God that started in Genesis 1 the, the scenes we see there of God reigning and ruling the, the fall of, of in the in the cosmic realm of these beings that God has made the fall of humanity the rebellion against God the sin coming into a place where it's now worldwide but God's gonna win this world back God's going God's to redeem and, and rescue and save through his son. And so we see the drama here. A, a child's going to give, from Psalm 2, going to be born. who's going to be the rule of the world again. It's all moving towards the kingdom of God. It's all moving towards the overthrow of the enemy, the defeat of the wicked one. We get to verse 6 and suddenly we're transported again. And he sees a different part of the vision. The woman fled in the wilderness. So this is Israel, remnant of Israel. The people that gave birth to the Messiah. Uh, the dragon was there. You know, we, the whole scene that John sees, it, 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 we, we want more explanation, but he doesn't give it. But she prepares, there's a place prepared for her where it says in the ESV, the wilderness, but other translations say the desert. So we get, get another uh, allusion to Exodus. Through book of Revelation, I hope you've heard it again and again, all the different allusions, all the different scriptures, all the different uh, pictures of the first Exodus. God's people being brought out of Egypt, brought out of slavery. Now the world that we're living in, all the people living in slavery to sin, all the people in bondage to Satan, all the people are being led by the God of this world. The God of this world has blinded the mind of the un- unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It's like the book of Revelation is talking about a second exodus. How does the book end? How, how, what happened with the people that left that? Egypt back in the day. They ended up in promised land. What happens at the end of the book of Revelation? The people of God end up in the promised land, the kingdom of God, the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and new earth. So we saw the the trumpets representing all the plagues and the seals representing plagues, the different parts. And, And here we see the woman, Israel, once again, just as in the days of old she was kept safe in the desert from the dragon Pharaoh. Now um, she's kept safe by God against mortal enemy Satan. Uh, the 1,260 days—different uh, interpretations. Some would say this is a symbolic number from the whole church, the whole church age, starting with Jesus' death and resurrection, all the way up until Jesus comes back. Uh, some would say this is a picture of what happened in Jerusalem in 66 through 70 AD. Maybe it was a time where God kept a certain remnant of Israel safe before the Romans came and destroyed. Uh, <clears throat> Jerusalem, I think it is reflective of what we talked about in chapter 11 with the two witnesses. I think this is the last, the literal last three and a half years of this age before Jesus comes back. In other words, the great tribulation. You might have different reasons for not believing that. Maybe you have a different interpretation and I can respect that. Uh, but I think what we're talking about now is that, that the last time, the last age, the last three and a half years Satan is going to attack. And he's going to start with Israel and then the church. Chapter 12, verse 7. Now, now war arose in heaven. I think you've already seen. I hope I, hope I brought it out. I made, made, made sense of it to you. That Satan's already been defeated once in the sense of there's already been a loss for him. He's driven out of heaven. Now, war arose in of heaven, verse 7. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. His dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent, notice the titles. Uh, so many places in the Bible we could go to to unpack all these titles. But who is called the devil, slanderer, Satan, you know, the deceiver uh, the, of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth. His angels were thrown down with him. I heard, let's, let's pause there. There's just so much here to, to grapple with. And so uh, Satan lost, as it were, the, the woman. He wanted to kill the woman that had given birth to Jesus, Israel, the people of God. He was foiled in that attempt. His, futil- his futility is, is obvious. His, his impotence is obvious. He does not have the power to do it because God is protecting. And what, what a great scene for the first century readers, you know, reading through the book of Revelation or hearing it read in their churches. Uh, they, they realize, hey, this enemy is so great and so powerful, but he can't touch me if I belong to God. If I'm protected by God, I'm safe because the enemy is not on the level of God. And so we, we see that there. But here uh, we have another scene. And I think this is happening the 1,260 days of the previous verse. I think this is happening in the last three and a half years of the tribulation. Now, when will the tribulation come? I don't know. Something is close. Something it might be far away. But the last three and a half years of the tribulation, I believe this is going to be talking about a war in heaven. It's not talking about the primordial war because John is writing from say 80, 95, 80, 96, the, the temple in Jerusalem's already been destroyed. The Israel has already been destroyed and taken away. This is after the ascension of Jesus to heaven. He's writing about the future. Remember his his call to write what you what you uh, see, what's going on, and what will take place. And so this is talking about the future in my mind, from our day still. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. Notice it's not God and God fighting against the dragon, because they're not on the same level. <laughs> There's no dualism in the book of Revelation. God always is higher. God is always greater, but so Michael and his angels, they attack the dragon on offense. The dragon and his angels fight back and, you know, we, we've, we've been, uh, in our culture, we've, we've, you know, we've seen all the Marvel movies, we saw the Lord of the Rings and, and the Chronicles of Narnia and we see these great battles coming and we have all kinds of connotations in our mind what that looks like and we're probably all wrong. <laughs> the spiritual battle in the heavens. Whatever John saw, it must have been incredible. But notice that Satan was defeated. That's the theme of chapters 12 to the end of the book, Satan is defeated. His work is futile. He will not overcome. He will not win against those who belong to Jesus. But he's defeated. He was, there's no longer a place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Thrown down to the earth. And his angels are thrown down with him. And so uh, if this is at the end of time, um, what's, what's happening now? What's, what, how, what's Satan's work now? What, what's going on now? It, it's amazing when you start looking at all the details of what's happening now. Uh, we've already talked about how Satan exists to deceive us. He seeks to lead us astray from God. He seeks to lead the whole world astray. He, he's going to tell lies. He's going to slander. He's a, uh, I think in John 8, he's the murderer from the beginning, father of lies. The, the titles just go on and on and on. He's doing everything he can to pull us away from God. Um, part of that part of that ministry of Satan that evil ministry of Satan is that he's trying to trying to cause us to sin lead us into temptation okay so uh, are there devils all around are they you know as the the song said um, there's influences behind all the institutions there's evil influences behind so much of this world and he's certainly causing us putting in our mind putting in our thinking to go away from God to sin against God, oh, you should do that, Geron. Uh, no, 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 no. No one will understand. Uh, you can do whatever you want. You know all, all the ways he tempts, and maybe for you it's different than me. The way he comes and in the, the way he tempts. But the fascinating and crazy and, and evil part of it is that when we sin, what does he do? <laughs> he takes our sin to God. And said, look at what a sinner Jerron is. Look at what a wicked person Jerron is. Look at what an evil person Jerron is. It's like he tempted me. You know, I, I chose to go there. I sinned. But when, he, when I do sin, it's like he always goes to God and says, hey, look at him. He's not righteous. You should kill him. You should send him to hell. Uh, you can write down Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. Remember, remember the, in Job chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Remember, uh, you know, Satan goes to God's throne, goes before God in heaven, and says, "Hey, uh, yeah, I've been what have you been doing, Satan? I've been roaming back and forth. And what have you seen? You know, have you have you noticed my servant Job?" And 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 Satan goes, "Yeah, I I don't think he's really a worshiper of yours. I think if he loses whatever he has, he'll curse you. Well, let's try it. Uh, You can write down uh, Zechariah chapter three. Zechariah chapter three. Another temptation scene." And so what you know, Satan becomes this prosecutor, Satan becomes this accuser. And he's always taken sinners like us before God's throne and saying, God, you should put them all to death, you should condemn them all, you should all you should destroy them all. They're unworthy. Quite, quite a ministry he has. Uh, the good news, you can write down Romans 8:33. Uh, it is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? You can write down Colossians chapter two verses fourteen through fifteen. Colossians chapter two verses fourteen to fifteen. It's an incredible text of Jesus going to the cross and what happened when he went to the cross. Uh, Colossians chapter two verses fourteen and fifteen. It likens it into our when he was nailed on the cross when he died as our sin bearer. It was like it, it describes it as our sins being erased. If our sins are erased. There's no more accusation. There's no more proof or evidence that Jeron sinned. The other, the other analogy or picture or, or parable there, the, the scene there is, is that the certificate of debt, all Jeron's sins, all, all of my sins listed, every last one and every last one of your sins, Jesus, when He died on the cross, it was as if He took that certificate of death, of debt, all your sins, and He nailed to the cross, paid in full. Praise God. Praise God. So so the scene is, um, but even to today, uh, even though if you're a believer, God does not hear the accusations because you've been forgiven. God does not hear the accusations because you've been justified in Christ. You've been declared righteous. The problem is the rest of the world that doesn't have a Christ, that doesn't have the Savior, that doesn't have a Redeemer, they haven't been rescued. God hears Satan's attacks against them before his throne even today. It's a terrible, terrible thing, the attack of Satan, the deception of Satan, the war of Satan against humanity. But again, his goal is to make sure that nobody worships Yahweh because in Satan's pride, he wants to be worshipped. He wants to make sure that everyone, everyone wants to end up in hell with him. And so this, this ministry of Satan, so to speak, that's ongoing... Uh, It's going to end one day. And so verses 7 through 9 is the celebration of the end of that access to heaven, that access to the throne. Verses 7 to 9 is when he's throwing down finally at the end. He's throwing down finally. He doesn't have the power he once did to accuse, but at the end that leads to some terrible things happening upon the earth. So look at verse 10. Verse 10 through 12 is a... uh, is a hymn, it doesn't show up in, in my ESV text like some of the others do, but it, it's a hymn of celebration, a hymn of praise to God, rejoicing over the victory won. Uh, <clears throat> so it's a reflection, so Satan's thrown down, so what does that mean? Look at verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ has come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. They have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of his testimony. their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth, and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Well, there's, Again, there's, there's so much here. Um, the, the heavens are rejoicing, but on the earth and the heaven, uh, the, the sea and the earth... There's terror. As we get into chapter 3, where does the beast come from? The beast comes from the sea. Where does the second beast, the the false prophet, come from? From the land, from the earth. So we're seeing the scene of man in the heavens, there was rejoicing because the enemies have been thrown down, but upon the earth, that plays out in chapter 13. and chapter 14, the sea and the earth, the, the devil has come down. The last three and three and a half years of the great tribulation are going to be terrible because the devil's come down. But notice here, the celebration rejoicing. It's kind of like after we read the, the, the first six trumpets. Now we saw the trumpet blow. The, an event on the earth of, of terror, of tribulation, of, 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 of trial would come upon the peoples, the earth dwellers. The second trumpet would blow. The third trumpet would blow and things would happen. We got to the seventh trumpet. We expect a great cataclysmic kind of event to happen. But in the seventh trumpet, like everyone goes crazy in heaven. They're all rejoicing. Yeah, the kingdom's come. Woo, it's finished. It's done. And yet we know that there's more of a process to the seventh trumpet. We read about that in chapters 15 and 16 of Revelation. There's still more to come. And the same thing here. Once Satan's thrown down in this final war the last three and a half years, heaven and all the people of heaven, the, the martyrs in heaven, they're all like, yeah. The accuser of our brothers. He's finally been thrown down. And so there's a great celebration. But here we see the, the way to victory. Here, here we see, I call you know, the, the, this people here, um, the victorious dead. The, the martyrs in heaven. You notice, notice why I say that in verse 10. It says this loud voice in heaven. It says, so there's a celebration. The salvation, the victory has come. Salvation that in this context means victory. The power, we saw great, God's great power working previously in the book of Revelation. So they're celebrating that again. The kingdom of God and the authority of Christ has come. Okay, so the process starts to be worked out with Jesus coming back physically and bodily. But it's going to happen. He's throwing down. It's, it's awesome. He's throwing down. He never stops accusing. Today he's never stop, he keeps accusing people before God. But it's finally finished. And then verse eleven, they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they have loved not their lives even unto death. And so the the verse twelve, the rejoicing in the heavens in those who dwell in them. Uh, what we see there is a lot of people have been killed for their faith. A lot of people have been martyred for following Jesus. Whether these are the, the Israelite, uh, the remnant there, or the Christians, the church of this age, of this time of tribulation. These, these people, they've, they've stuck with Jesus to the very end and it cost them to their life. They've they walked with Jesus in faith and obedience even to the end. And, and we'll see you know chapter 13, the Antichrist and the false prophet, they get killed <laughs> for their faith. They, they go to heaven and and the, just like we saw in, in Revelation chapter 6 verses 9 through th- 9 through 11 the souls under the altar that are pleading and worshiping God just like we saw in chapter 8 the the incense of the prayers saints the, the dead the martyrs rising to the throne here we see again the, the celebration and rejoicing of the martyrs and you ask your, yourself the question like I, I thought you're gonna tell me drawn uh, like you open the service like how do I overcome Satan how do I how do I beat the devil how do I win You win through the blood of the Lamb. You win through the trust in Jesus Christ, your Savior, that He's won the victory. Uh, You win by staying faithful to Jesus, even unto death. Because in death, you get to go to heaven, there's victory. You've won because you've overcome the devil. He hasn't pulled you away from God. He hasn't deceived you. You haven't compromised your faith. Remember Revelation chapters 1 through 3? Again, don't compromise. Be an overcomer. Be victorious. And what, how are they not being victorious? They were giving in the false, idol, false gods. They were worshiping the flesh. They got into sin. <laughs> they, they were tempted to deny Jesus. That's compromise. The victory here is won. It was won on the cross. Have you ever heard the phrase like, the victory is already won, we're still in the battle? You guys, the victory is won with Jesus shedding His blood for your sins. He overcame the devil there because whoever trusts in Him, whoever believes in Him, is forgiven forever, is justified in Christ, saved forever. And so, the martyrs in heaven are saying, praise God, He... He went to the cross, He died. Praise God, He shed His blood for my sins. Praise God that that battle was completed. The war was won there. Again, you can reference chapter 2 of Colossians, verses 14-15. Nothing more to accuse of one. What I'm saying to you, if you are not a believer in Jesus right here, if if you're not a believer today in Jesus, if you're not a follower of Christ... If you're some other religion, you put your hope in other things other than Jesus, you are lost. You are hellbound. God will judge you for your sins. All those accusations that Satan makes before the throne, uh, God will judge every sin. God will wreck and ruin every sin. His wrath against sin, His hatred of sin, His holy hatred, He will take care of every sin. And as a sin bearer yourself, if you're not in Christ, if you haven't been forgiven your sins, your sins haven't been erased, if that debt of sin hasn't been nailed to the cross through Jesus, a Satan will win. His goal, again, is to lead everyone astray. And if if, if you haven't turned to Christ and trusted in Him for your salvation, if you haven't been forgiven, you're still outside of salvation. You're still outside of victory. You win through the blood of Jesus. It always comes down to the cross. Every spiritual victory comes from the cross. What Jesus accomplished there. But he also says here, uh, you've conquered by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And so, again, that goes back to the rest of the book of Revelation. Like the people of faith are living out their faith. They're living out their faith in obedience to trust in God. Once you're saved, you live by faith in Christ. You're proving it every day. The, the verbal, the word of their testimony. It's, not, it's your life and your word. The witness of Christ. And you do that to the very end and you win. And so here we see Satan falling from heaven again, cast down. Uh, He's losing again. And look at verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, the place where she's nourished for a time, time, and half a time. (laughs) Just pause there a second because the language is incredible. Uh, So Satan, the last three and a half years, he's pursuing the woman. And again, we see the Exodus theme come out. Remember uh, when God brought uh, Israel out of Egypt? We got to Exodus 19 and he brought them to his mountain, Mount Sinai. And he says, I think it's in 19 verses 3 through uh, 4, I brought you here on the wings of an eagle. By the wings I brought you to myself in Isaiah 40, verses 31, right? To, to use or people that are, are going through trials and tribulations. The image of, I, I lifted you up on wings like eagles. Uh, you've, you can overcome anything through my power, through my strength. And here again, the woman is given the power of God. She's protected. And then the strange, strange verbiage here about, uh, <clears throat> about verse 15. The serpent poured water like a river out of the mouth of the woman to sweep her away With a flood (laughs) but the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river the dragon poured from his mouth wow uh, what's going on there i think that refers to what happens in chapter 13. the antichrist attacks uh, the the evil the deceptions the lies the uh, the condemnations Uh, evil comes like a flood sometimes we say so the imagery of the water flowing a flood coming out of satan's mouth seeking to drown everybody in evil and sin But God, through it's His earth. And so somehow, uh, what did John see there? I just can't even imagine what was going through his his head, that vision he received. He puts it in a a very condensed way. But look at verse 17. Uh, Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. (laughs) He fails again the third time in our text. He goes and tries to end the woman at the end, Israel at the end. He can't can't destroy them, so he gets really mad, and then he goes after the church. See, there's two kind of people groups here Israel of old, or maybe a remnant of Israel, and then those who who hold to the testimony of Jesus, the church. And so at the end, uh, the peoples of God are going to be sought after by Satan to be killed. How will you win? Uh, You know, uh, the world, the earth dwellers, they're all going to die. They're all going to be wiped out. They're going to be destroyed because of their sin. God will judge every sin. The wrath of God will come upon all the peoples of the world. But those who have Jesus will be saved. Victory will be theirs. Because God always wins. God has won the battle already. He's won the victory already. He's going to win all the battles to come. So if you're in Jesus... Whatever troubles, tribulations, trials, evils are coming against you today spiritually or physically, all the things that are manifested against you today, they're trying to tear you down and destroy you. If it comes from Satan, it's all, ultimately, maybe there's going to be short-term pain, maybe short-term suffering, maybe it will kill you. But if you're in Jesus, you win forever. You're alive forever. And so this, this, kind, of, this kind of picture, it does call us to to think about our neighbors and think about the lost people of the world we have the gift of life we have the message of life we're sent out as the end times people I think are sent out the last three and a half years to proclaim and preach the gospel of Jesus so that the peoples of the world will not be overcome by the devil they will not lose if you're in Christ you've already won if you're in Christ you've already seen the victory come now we just wait till the end Till we meet our reward in heaven. Rejoice, celebrate, give thanks. Church, please stand in the Lord's presence. Lord, we've gathered here today because you've invited us to join you, Jesus, in this place as your people. And so we give you praise and honor today. We give you thanks today. We celebrate what you've done winning our victory on the cross. Thank you for taking every one of our sins. Thank you for destroying every one of our sins by the wrath of God poured upon you. Thank you for turning away, covering all our sins and having the wrath of God turned away from us because of what you did. Thank you for taking our debt. Thank you for paying it off in full that there's now no more accusation in heaven against us that's being heard or received because we've been justified in Christ. Lord, thank you for uh, what this tells us about the future that whatever comes, whatever evils, whatever trials, whatever tribulations, whatever things that come upon the earth, that ultimately we're safe with you and that will be with you forever, forever and ever in the kingdom of God. Thank you for telling us the truth, Lord, that the kingdom of God overcomes the kingdom of this world. Thank you that the kingdom of God overcomes the kingdom of darkness. And again, Lord, we, we praise you and thank you for transferring us through grace, through faith in Jesus, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Be praised, Lord. May more more and more, may Satan be defeated again and again in his attempts to keep worshipers from coming to seeing worshipers worship you. May he be defeated in that. May we see more and more worshipers arise in the earth and become your followers. Praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life. His death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.